Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 20, is where we will spend our time together this morning as we continue our series entitled, Who Do You Say I Am? Uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, look at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And the title of today's message is that we say you are resurrected, that uh, you are resurrected. You see, over the last several weeks, we have been working our way through uh, John's gospel, and we have now arrived at the moment in which our Lord has uh, endured the cross been buried, but on the third day he has risen triumphantly. And so now John is going to begin to make the case for the appearances that our Lord made to be able to establish that uh, not only did he come back to life, uh, but that he appeared and showed himself uh, to be alive. And so as we look at this, we will be able to see some very important things. Uh, the text will lay out for us some very important things about the a hinge pin of the Christian faith where we have looked at our Lord's faithfulness, his power, his grace, and his goodness. And uh, as we go through this, John will be making the case for us, uh, establishing for us uh, the word of God that we should believe because Jesus said he was going to rise, because the Old Testament proclaimed that he was going to rise, that we should believe he's going to give us eyewitness testimony and then ultimately, he's going to call us here personally to make a decision. What will you do with the risen Lord and Savior? Now, before we get into the passage, I want us to think about this for a minute because there are a lot of different things that you'll hear where people say, well, Jesus really didn't die. He just passed out. And then when he got in the tomb, the coolness of the tomb, he revived or it's it called the swoon theory. You'll hear people say different things. Well, he came back, but it wasn't bodily. He came in as like, you know, like kind of like Casper, you know, the friendly ghost. And so uh, we will be able to directly drive the word of God at the heart of these misunderstandings when it comes to the gospel. But I was thinking about this particular passage in my family and uh, I was talking to my wife Stephanie and I got a permission to be able to share this. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, her and my son were uh, loading up, they were in the garage and uh, she didn't quite pull the door to and so the garage door started swinging open real slow. And my son who was three said, you know, look, mom, and uh, to which my wife said back to him, oh, it's a ghost. <laughs> Great mom, right? You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> and to which my son was deathly afraid. Oh! And so still to this day, uh, we have to encourage him, son, you don't have to worry about any ghost, all right? And he is not so much on board with that just yet. And so whenever he goes down the hall, he turns on the lights. So whenever he goes in the bathroom, he has to have all the lights on. And I'm like, son, it's not the dead ones you got to worry about. It's the ones alive now, okay? And so on a regular basis, uh, he'll come up to me and say, dad, ghosts, ghosts are not real. I was like, son, they, they're not real. And so as we look at this, we're going to be able to see that our Lord is no ghost. 
that he is real and that he has come back to life and he is giving us uh, many convincing proofs. As a matter of fact, the New Testament records for us 10 appearances that our Lord makes uh, after his resurrection. And if you have an opportunity in your quiet time this week, I'd encourage you to read Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It gives you a little detail about the fact that after his resurrection, he stayed around for a period of 40 days, appearing to many. And we're going to be able to see three of those appearances uh, from our passage this morning. We're going to see, number one, that Jesus appeared to Mary. Two, we're going to see that he appears to the disciples. And uh, three, we're going to see that he appears to a specific disciple, Thomas. And as we look at this, we'll be challenged, uh, challenged to believe. I want to set the tone real quick with a passage uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 that just kind of sets the tone for where we'll be headed and why this is so important for us. You see, this is what sets Jesus Christ apart from everybody else, the fact that he died and he came back to life. And so when we look at 1 Corinthians 15, 15 through 19, the Apostle Paul establishes this for us, and I just want us to hear this as the pace setter for us. It says, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that he, was, that he raised Christ. And so what he's saying there in verse 15 is if Jesus did not raise, then, then the apostles would be telling a lie. It says, catch this, whom... He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? Worthless. Just real encouraging real here, right here real quick. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, meaning those who have died and were Christians who were saved, they have perished, meaning they're not doing very well. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. And so we're going to make the case that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And can I just tell you, everything that you believe and everything that I believe hinges on this reality. And so as we look at our passage this morning, we're going to see the evidence before us, and you have to make the decision whether or not to believe. I hope that you found John's Gospel, chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. Our first section will be 11 through 18. But Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, 
she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in the Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascended to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. First thing we're going to see, let's unpack this, is uh, appearing to Mary. We got quite a bit here, so I hope you came ready to have a good time. We see in this first appearance that our Lord is going to establish for us something very dynamic. The first thing that we're going to see is the love, the basis of love, faithfulness, and care that our Lord has in his resurrection. And the big deal about him coming is to be able to display his love, faithfulness, and care. We're going to see this as he works uh, in this appearance to Mary. Now, you remember Mary Magdalene. I introduced you to her a couple weeks ago. Luke uh, chapter 8 verse 2 tells us uh, a little bit more about her and why she loved Jesus so much because he had delivered her uh, from uh, demonic possession, uh, several as a matter of fact. And so she loved him uh, deeply. And I've said it many times that I believe the natural step once the Lord has delivered you is to give him your life and to serve him for the rest of your life. And Mary is a great example of that. And so we see here in Mary... Uh, that our Lord uh, appears to her first. Now, we know that there had been some other uh, visitations to the tomb. If you remember from last week, Mary had come early in the morning. It was still dark outside. She saw the stone had been rolled away. She did not go in. She did not look. She took off running back. She talked to John and Peter, and they got in a foot race. And you remember John ran faster, and uh, Peter came in huffing and puffing a little later, and they uh, both stooped and looked, and Peter went in, and he uh, noticed the body was gone, and they found the linen wrappings lying there. And so the Bible tells us that they went back. And I guess what we have to gather from our text here is that Mary came back as well. She didn't leave. She stayed there weeping. And can I tell you, that's something to be said about just showing up and hanging around the Lord. That's something to be said because she had an opportunity to encounter our Lord. But before she does, though, she looks down and she looks inside and she sees two men. Uh, when you do a harmony of the Gospels, it says two men, these are angels. And uh, whenever the Bible speaks of angels, uh, Jesus believed in angels. The Bible speaks of angels. I believe of angels. Uh, the majority of the time, it does not... Uh, say has, they have anything like wings or halos or anything like that, you're not going to find it. They're not short, dumpy, you know, little creatures. Uh, they are, are described as men, and uh, they are recognizable. And so if you, if you notice with me in the text, it says she stooped in verse 11. She stooped, and she looked into the tomb, verse 12, and she saw how many angels? Two, right? And they were in white, and they were sitting. Did y'all catch that posture? So two angels sitting in the tomb, dressed in white, and they're sitting down. Now, did you notice the position that they were sitting, one at the head and one at the feet? And so I want you to just 
look at this with me now. Let's imagine we're looking into the tomb. We all, it's just, we got in the machine, we over in Israel right now. Okay, we're looking in the tomb together. And what we see in this moment as we peer in, as we see this area, raised up area, a seated area, a bench like this. And then you have two individuals sitting on it and they're dressed in white and they're angels. And you might be saying, what in the world is such a the, the big deal about this? Well, what should be coming to your mind is the mercy seat. You see, God, whenever he wanted to be able to forgive, to be able to connect, to be able to commune with his people, he had a system set up by which there was a holy of holies in which there was a box in there called the Ark of the Covenant, and there was a gold bench on the top of it that was called the mercy seat. And on that seat, the way in which it was fashioned, that gold, there was two cherubim. Can I say it another way? Two angels on each end, and they, would, they had, their, they had their, their, their selves bending over down this direction. And on that seat, that was where God's presence in the Day of Atonement, whenever the blood of the animal would go and be sprinkled on that bench so that God's people could be forgiven of their sins. And so whenever we think of this, when we see this, we should catch this understanding that God is teaching us that Jesus Christ is the mercy seat, the place in which you come to, to receive mercy and forgiveness from God. Now, when we look at this, this should fascinate us though, because we have a lady, can I just tell you sisters, most of the time y'all get a bad rap, you know what I'm trying to tell you? But can I tell you, God loves ladies, he loves sisters. And he uses you all the time to accomplish his purposes and his will. And we see right here, not only does, does Mary get to be one of the first to see Jesus, but she also gets a chance to see this beautiful expression of grace and mercy where God is showing that he is the one now that has provided the ability for forgiveness and freedom from sin. And then we see also this picture should be drawing us, you, you remember What's, what's Jesus' mom's name? Anybody remember her name? Huh? Mary. Oh, yeah, yeah, y'all know Sister Mary. Y'all have, have met her. Okay, good. So when we think about this, whenever the announcement comes, it comes to Mary first. You catch that? So even in his coming, so our Lord is bookends. He's giving us some very clear clarity here. This is not Mary, his mother. This is Mary Magdalene, but he wants us to understand something very clearly. That just like the announcement came first, and then we see that Mary got to hold our Lord. We're getting ready to see a change happen here, but we understand that Jesus is showing redemptive history that it was accomplished, that the gift that was promised to Mary, his mother, has been fulfilled in the mercy seat and the grace and forgiveness of God now, and Mary is getting an opportunity to see and experience and understand understand it. Now I know that doesn't make a shout just yet, but it should. Because in this mercy seat experience, we get a chance to see what our Lord has done for us. And if you're taking notes, if you just jot down 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want to encourage you at some point this week to read verses 1 through 12, but we're going to look at uh, 3 through 5 specifically. And in this section we see that that there is this, the importance of the, so what is the big deal about the resurrection? So why does that matter? All right, here we go. Thank you for asking. First Peter 1, 3 says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, y'all see that? Has caused us to be born again, right? To a living hope, through the, let's just say this together on three. One, two, three. Resurrection 
of Jesus Christ from there. I just wanna leave it there for a minute. So what's the big deal about this? Number one, it's the expression of God's great mercy toward us. See, let's not mix this thing up here. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God giving us, not giving us what we do deserve. I can explain it this way, okay? Grace, I, I try to talk to my kids all the time and say, look, daddy trying to love you in here, right? So the other day I was wrestling with my son and I love wrestling with him. And uh, he reached up in my ear and he scratched the mess out of my ear and blood began to flow out of my ear, okay? And I thought, you know what, this would be a great opportunity to encourage your son. But I'm not gonna encourage you with a spanking, all right? I'm gonna show you mercy. Daddy is going to not give you what you deserve because you know you didn't, you know, I told you don't be scratching me. I told you how this works. When we wrestle, you can't be scratching, you understand? I had already laid down the rules of engagement. No bite, no scratching, none of that. Okay, and so mercy, great mercy, God not giving us what we deserve. Grace, grace is, 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 is the peace that we always grab. So grace is him, him giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is him not giving us what we do deserve. And so as we look at this, his great mercy, we deserve death, we deserve separation, but in his great mercy, he caused us to be born again, a new life to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice this now, verse four. There's some excitement that comes along with this. So not only to be born again, but notice this verse four, to obtain an inheritance. Any, anybody get excited about th that God, he actually wants to, to, to grant us something. So not just a relationship, but there's something that also comes with this. There's an inheritance that comes with it. And I want you to check this inheritance out, okay? Which is, it's imperishable meaning it's not, it's not going anywhere, undefiled, and it will not fade away. It's reserved where? In heaven. For who? You. Now, I know right now, y'all real quiet. Y'all trying to hang with me? But I just want to, I'm telling you some good stuff here. Notice this. Just so you know now that what he's promising in the future is true, he responds to us in a certain way now. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That in his resurrection, what he is showing you is that, that number one, you are born again. You're giving a living hope. You get this inheritance. That means there's some great, you got a place, you, a, a home you're going to get. It's beautiful. A relationship, nobody's gonna be able to take it away. It's not gonna fade. And then notice this, he's going to protect you. He has the power to be able to do it through faith and he's ready to reveal it. And so when we think about the, the dynamics of the resurrection, we get a relationship with him but we also get this wonderful place that he's prepared for us. Now I want you to notice what the angels say to Mary. Look at me in verse 13. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now I know y'all probably, when I read it, that sounds kind of harsh, don't it? Like, you know, her, her Lord has just been crucified and you look at the angel and say, why, why are you weeping? But that is a rebuke, but it's not a harsh rebuke. It's a gentle rebuke saying, listen, the time of mourning has passed and the time for rejoicing is here. There is no body in here. There ain't no need to be crying. There, there's no, listen, this is a time to rejoice. But I want you to catch Mary's response. She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. My Lord, she makes it personal. And every time I read this, this, this fascinates me because I always ask myself the question, 
many are you willing to say, yes, he's the Lord, but is he your Lord? That's the key. And whenever you have a, a love relationship, a connection with God, then, then you will pursue him. You will look for him. And that was where she was. She said they had taken away my Lord. So not only is he Lord, but is he your Lord? And then it says in our passage, she says, and I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Now, there's been a lot of conjecture back and forth, and you can do a lot of study on why she didn't recognize Jesus. Some people say, well, number one, uh, she was in this great state of grief. And, you know, sometimes whenever you're grieving, uh, you don't recognize things like you should. Other people say, listen, she had her eyes were full of tears. And you know how it is when you're crying. You can't tell. Uh, others said that, that Jesus, because of what all he went through, uh, whenever he was being crucified, that he looked different, that his hair was all white. You know, he had gotten highlights, all white because of the stress, okay? And so that he looked different to her, so she didn't, you know, recognize him. And then others, and I believe this is the case though, lay out that just like in his other appearings, uh, there was a, a moment where they were prevented from being able to recognize him, where they had to respond by faith to him. That happened on the Emmaus Road, wherever he had to open their eyes to be able to see. He had to do something to initiate the conversation so that they would recognize him. And we see this is the same thing with Mary. In verse 15, we see she had turned around in verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? If you're taking notes, I want you to do me a favor, and I just want you to underline the word supposing. Y'all see that word supposing? That's a real important word. Because what I find is, is that's the reason why Mary had all this sorrow. Because she supposed something that was not true. And I find that still today, Christians all over the world, even in this worship center, we have sorrow and heartache and difficulty because we suppose things that are not true. And we see that in this, she, she supposed he was a gardener. Her viewpoint, her perspective was off. She thought he was dead. She thought somebody had taken him and it perverted her understanding. And so it caused her to have confusion and sorrow. But understand, whenever you have a clear vision of who Christ is and you are not supposing, when you have a clear vision of what he seeks to do in your life and you are not supposing, you're not playing the what-if games, then can I tell you, it gives you clarity and perspective and a beautiful thing called peace. Can I just ask a quick little personal question in here? Did anybody struggle with their mind running, running whenever circumstances might happen or things might happen? Anybody just let your mind just immediately, you go good, or just, just drive it off in the ditch, right? Okay. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? You, you know, you get a cough. <laughs> oh, I hope that ain't the flu. You know, like immediately, like you just immediately in the ditch. Does that make sense? Or maybe you wake up one morning and you get out of bed and oh, you feel a little twinge. You're like, oh, I think I done slipped the ditch. You know, I'm like every time, it just every, you're immediately in the gutter. You know what I'm talking about? And so that, when we suppose, it causes us to begin to develop a mindset or establish a reality that I, I many times I find that's not of God. And we don't put him first. We don't put his perspective first. And when we do that, I think we see the same thing that happened in Mary's life is it causes us sorrow and confusion. And so God is telling us one thing and we're making out our own set of rules and reality over here. We're not willing to believe and trust in what he says. Don't suppose. But catch this now, supposing 
and to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, this is probably one of my favorite parts of this whole section now. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Can y'all imagine Sister Mary now? Had Jesus' body still been around, let's just say had his body still been around, that would have been a sight to see. You know, you're going to carry a corpse. That's what you're getting ready to do by yourself. Ain't no, ain't she ain't said nothing about help, nothing about finding anybody to help. She said, look, you just tell me where he is and I got it. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? I think what Mary shows us, though, is, is that whenever you have true love, true love is willing to carry a, a burden. True love is willing to do hard things. And, and that's what she had for the Lord. But also, though, the Lord wanted to reveal himself. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, catch our Lord here. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. Now, when you read that, does, does that strike anybody as like harsh? Okay. Can I just tell you, I don't sense, when I read this, I don't sense the Lord was like, get off me, woman. You know what I'm like? I don't, I don't sense like that was the tone of it. All right. But he was trying to teach us and her something very important. You know, he was trying to teach us and Mary something very important because she was trying to cling to him. And you notice, how did she address him? She said, Rabboni, right? She said, my teacher or teacher. And so in her mind, she had a set of beliefs about Christ that did not fit what he truly was about. Was it true that he had been her teacher at one point in time? Yes. But can I tell you, he was much more than that. And what he was trying to get her to see was that she cannot cling and hold on to him in this way, at this point, at this time, that he has a, a specific thing he must do and that he must ascend into heaven where he can now lay down and reconcile man to God. That was always the plan, that he would come from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven to be able to reconcile the two. And whenever Mary is holding on to him, what she is displaying to him is, look, look, you're not going anywhere. You hear what I'm telling you? I done lost you once, you're not going now you're not going anywhere and he had to let her know in a nice loving way sister let me go all right now when we see this can I just bring a little application and we'll look at our second movement is this fascinates me that he would say stop clinging to me because you would think you know we always think about Jesus you know he all loving he would say girl just hug all on me you know I'm just right here just double hand you know we ain't talking side hug we talking real hug you know what I'm saying you would think that's what he would have said right but I think there's a impactful reason that he's trying to teach us here that ultimately his role and his goal was to not just be teacher but was to be Lord, to be sacrificed, to be the one who atoned, to be the one who stood in our place, my place, your place, and to be able to get us back into a relationship with God. And so thus, whenever we come to him, it must always be on the basis of that relationship that he is trying to bring us to the Father. But what I find is, is many times in our day, we like to cling to a whole lot of other things instead of that relationship. Now, I'm going to name some things, and I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm just saying these things are not the reconciliation relationship that Jesus Christ came to give. And so what happens is in your life and in my life, we, we, we cling to our spouses. 
and we seek support and fulfillment and satisfaction in them. And can I just tell you, I believe that God wants us to cling to our spouses, but can I just tell you, they will never be able to provide the reconciliation relationship that you and I need to be able to be made right with God. We, we cling to our children, right? The Lord bless us with some children and we turn them into little bitty idols and our whole lives just surrounded about what they do and where they go and what they need. Can I tell you, do I think you should love your babies? You better, that's what the Bible says. You better love them, okay? But, but hear me now, we can't cling to them as the means of reconciliation to be able to give us and get us back into a right relationship with God. We cannot atone for the mistakes of our past or anybody else's past with our kids. Understand, our role is to always be trying to correct them and guide them into a relationship with the Lord. That is ultimately parents why we are here. Now, I understand we want them to attach and love us, right? He looked just like me. You know, that's a dad. He looked just like me. She looked just like me. Even if it don't look nothing like you, you know what I'm saying? You're going to find something that ear right there on the right-hand side. Look, just like me, okay? And I understand that. And we, we find worth and value and identity and all that there. But can I tell you, if you cling there, you're going to be disappointed. I, can I just name a few more? Because y'all are real quiet, so I'm going to keep on going, okay? Our jobs. Do I think you should have a job? Yes, I think you should have a job, okay? But can I tell you, many, many times what's happened is we're trying to pull our worth and our satisfaction and our identity all away from those things. And so whenever the job doesn't go well, the things are, are difficult, what happens now is we struggle. We don't understand that. I'm supposed to be bringing my purpose to my job. This reconciliation relationship that Jesus Christ has established for me, I'm supposed to be finding satisfaction and significance from that. And I'm supposed to bring it wherever I am, not the other way around. And we struggle and we wrestle with that. I know some of us not married in here, so maybe you got a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you want to be with one or somebody like that. And that, that's what consumes your life. And you're always trying to pull from that. Can I tell you, Jesus Christ is the most secure place in all the universe. And whenever I look out, and I, I need y'all to hear me now, because I believe every human being that you know, including yourself, is insecure. And we always are looking to, for someone or something to cling to, some guru or some teacher or some book or some show or somebody to cling to. And can I tell you, none of them will satisfy. They will not satisfy. Only the Lord. If you'll be willing to cling, I'm telling you, there's a relationship that he desires to have with you that is, that is dynamic like you've never had before. Y'all don't believe me just yet. I can tell by the way you're looking at me, so I want to give you a passage. Psalm 37, verse 4 and 5. And I just want you to hear, hear this. And I want you to hear these three words, delight, commit, trust. All right? Let's just say those three together. I don't think. One, two, three. Delight, commit, trust. Psalm 37, 4 says this. Delight yourself in the Lord. And what will happen? He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit. Your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. I believe that what we see here, our Lord is trying to teach us where our commitment must be, where our delight must be, and where our trust must be, and it must be in the reconciliation work that he has done. I'm not saying don't love your spouse. Don't, I'm, I'm, hear me now. You should do that. But the source of your security, your satisfaction, and your fulfillment must always flow from Christ. 
The last thing I want us to see is how our Lord was not only willing to come back, but he was willing to even utilize Mary for his own glory and purposes. Did you catch verse 18? After our Lord, after our Lord says, stop clinging to me, in verse 17, he says, go to my brethren and say to them, I send it to my father and your father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. This is what I know, that God is desiring to use our lives. And he turns Mary into one of the first missionaries right here. And this is what I know, when you truly come to know the Lord, when you truly see the Lord, then guess what's getting ready to happen? You will tell somebody about it. And notice she didn't have to make up anything. What did she say? She, she went and she told him what he had said. That's the movement. And the brethren that our Lord, he desires to have a relationship. The, the, one of the craziest things about Christianity that you will ever hear is that God decided to take on flesh and dwell among us so he could identify with us. And Hebrews, Hebrews, take this down and we'll move on to our next point. Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18 say, say this. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. That's why he's calling his brethren in here that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So just leave that right there for a minute. This is what I love. Our Lord knew that as flesh and, and, and blood, we died and that we were afraid of that and that we struggled with that and that death was a reality for us. And so what he decided to, to do was to come down to take on flesh, dwell among us, put on the gloves, go toe to toe with the enemy and knock him out in the middle of the ring. Did you hear what I just said? That's exactly what he did. He says... He rendered them powerless. Verse 15, and might, y'all catch this now? What might he do? Free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels. He didn't down the cross for angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham, those who by faith. Verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation, covering of sins, mercy seat for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Can I just, just leave that there for a minute? Can I just ask y'all, anybody here ever tempted, been tempted? This morning, right? Anybody this morning, you was tempted at that, that, uh, the time change got you. You looked at these out, oh, not today, Pastor, not today. <laughs> but you came, right? I want you to hear me before I move on to this next point. If you hear anything else, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. For since he himself was tempted in that which he himself also suffered, he is able to do what? come to the aid of those who are tempted. He comes to help. In his resurrected, powerful victory, he comes to give us help in the things that we deal with. And he sends us out, just like he sent Mary out, to be ones who declare his glory and his greatness. The second thing I want us to see, let's look at the disciples real quick. In uh, verse 19 through 23, 
So when it was evening on that day, same day that he appeared to Mary, it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, we're talking Sunday, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now in this second movement, we saw the love piece when he appears to Mary. In this second movement, we're going to see that Jesus shows hope. He gives the disciples hope. Can I tell you, you had a group of men huddled up in a room, locked in there, scared. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? If you had been outside, you probably would have heard the knees knocking. Just they were in there scary. You hear what I'm saying, Tate? And so what he's showing them is that in his resurrection, the reality of the hope that we have in him. Now, we know from our passage that this was Sunday. It was the same day, the same day that he had appeared to Mary. Now he appears to the disciples. And what can I tell you, there's so much encouragement in this thing. You, you would have thought that to Jesus, when he came to meet the disciples, the way they had been acting, he would have just got on all of them. You know what I'm talking about? If we got any athletes in here, can I see you? Just raise your hand. Anybody play sports, high school, college? Fantastic. All right, good, good, good. So whenever you uh, were expected to do a certain thing on the court or on the field, the coach was expecting you to do something, and you did not do that, uh, did it normally go over well when you got back on the sideline or the huddle or in the locker room, right? You know, I know sometimes coaches can have a good face when they're on the sideline. <laughs> good play, good hustle. But then you get in that locker room, didn't I tell you? You missed the assignment. You know, they get on you, you know, okay? And so I, I just imagine here that, the disciples, now you think about it, they left Jesus at the cross. They were not there, were not a part of that. They, they ran off scared. Now they in a room locked up in there, afraid. And what I t when I tell you, it encourages me that whenever Jesus Christ appears to them and whenever he sends Mary to them, he does not send her with a scathing rebu rebuke. He doesn't say, man, y'all sorry up in here. Y'all in here scared, running for you. Didn't you know I was all powerful? Didn't you see what I had done all my ministry life? Didn't you see all those things? That is not how he treated them. When he comes in there, he doesn't scold them because he already knows they're afraid. The first thing he says to them, the first thing he says to them is peace be with you. Now, can I tell you many times when we think about God, when we blow up, when we make mistakes, when we sin, when we fall short, I, I don't know about you and I don't know about how you were raised up, but I think most people, whenever they sin and they mess up, they just imagine God with the belt in his hand ready to whoop them, Okay switch, extension cord, I don't know everybody's dynamics, okay? Maybe time out with y'all's thing, I, I don't know, okay? You, you, but that's normally, you, you know, we're coming from all different backgrounds in here, I got to cover it all, you hear me, okay? In the corner, put your nose in the corner two minutes, wait, hold on, that ain't, you know, anyway. we didn't have time out at Andrew's household. But no, that's how we envision God, that he ready to put us in time out, put our nose in the corner, get the belt out, get the extension cord out, go make us get a switch and bring it in the house. Like that, that's what we are envisioning, okay? But can, I just want you to see his heart here as he appears to the disciples. 
He says, peace be with you. And if you notice in our passage, he says it twice. He says it twice, peace be with you. And I believe there are two things that Jesus is communicating to the disciples here. Number one, he's communicating with them that we have the peace of God. And so th- th- this is a very important dynamic because the only way you get the peace of God is to have peace with God. The first step is that we have peace with God, that he was willing to lay his life down to give his life for us. That's why the first thing he says after he says, peace be with you, the the next thing he does is he shows them the scars. He shows them his hands and he shows them his side. And so when we think about this, the, the peace of God, the disciples, they had every reason to be afraid. Jesus had just been crucified. They know that the body is missing, okay? So catch this for a minute now. The body is missing. The governor had, had been okay with it being crucified. Body missing. The, the, the harmony of the gospels tell us that they had put a soldier there to keep guard because they didn't want that to happen. So now they're like, oh no, we all, all of us, most wanted, 11 pictures, 11 disciples. I can see, you know, Thomas, you know, he like this on the front. They all wanted, you hear me? And so they are afraid in there. And so, so Jesus knows this. He knows that they're the temple police, the Romans, because Jesus is missing now, they are all suspects. And so they're afraid. But the first thing our Lord does is he sets his peace in what he was willing to provide, and that's salvation. If you're taking notes, I just want you to jot down Romans 5.1. And before I read this, I, I'm just going to say this. I run into a whole lot of people that are looking for peace. They've been trying to find it everywhere. But can I tell you, you can only find it in one place, and that's in the Prince of Peace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no true peace, no lasting peace, no real peace apart from Jesus Christ. You know, yesterday as those storms rolled through, I was looking out the, the window and the trees were out there dancing in an electric slide line, okay? They were having a good time outside. I don't know how it was in y'all's neighborhood, but in my neighborhood, they were acting up outside. You hear me? But what, what, what was happening inside the house, it was quiet, quiet in the house, eating breakfast, having a good time. And when I think about our Lord, what he desires to do is understand that this world around us, it is sinful, it is fallen, and it is chaotic. But whenever you give your life to Christ, it's just like being in the household, the household of Jesus Christ. It might be crazy wind going crazy, sirens hollering, lightning flashing, but in Christ, in him, he gives us peace, peace with God. He establishes that internally. Doesn't matter externally what's happening. But once that's a reality, he also gives us peace of God. Now, I want you to notice the disciples' reaction here for a minute. Can I just tell you, for whatever reason, when I envision this statement here, let me, let me just read verse 20 here. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. Now, when I read this next section, can I just tell you, the, the disciples then rejoiced. Did y'all catch that? Like for some reason in my holy uh, ghost imagination, I just imagine high-fiving, chest bumping, and hollering just going on in the room. You know what I'm trying to tell you? Ah, you back. You know, I'm like, that's just what I, like what I see, okay? They, were, they rejoiced. They were excited because they thought that he had died, and now he's alive, and he's standing right in their midst. They saw him, and they rejoiced. I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to jot down Psalm 1611. And before I read this, I want to tell you, I believe we can learn something here from these disciples in this upper room. 
Was the threat still real because the body of Jesus was, was, was out of the tomb? Yeah. The temple police, the Romans, was it still, was it a, still a very volatile, volatile time? Yep, it sure was. Even after this moment, was the church going to go through persecution and difficulty and hardship and heartache? Yep, they sure were. But can I tell you, whenever you know and whenever you believe and whenever you trust that Jesus is in the midst with you of the mess, you will rejoice. Psalm 16, 11 says this, you will make known to me the path of life. You ready for this? In your presence is fullness of joy. Where is fullness of joy? In his presence. Now, I know before I read this, though, I know the question y'all have because the same question I have. So how do I get in his presence? Y'all on it this morning. Thank y'all for asking. The way you get in his presence, I'm going to give you two W's. Word and worship. Whenever you, when you come in here on a Sunday morning, and we start off by singing, and we start singing praise to him, and we start talking to God about who he is and what he's done. What's happening is we, we are entering into his presence. We are coming in with praise. We are letting him know. We are setting the tone for who he is and what he has established and what he is doing. And then we come on the back end and we get in his word. So that way we can get his heart, we can get his mind, we can get his will, and we can know. So in his presence is fullness of joy. Can I just tell you? Not on Facebook, not on Twitter, not, not in the pity party room. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? In his presence is fullness of joy. And so whenever we go through things, when we go through trials, when we go through difficulties, the resurrected Christ is telling you he is inviting you, he is inviting me, he is inviting us into his presence. That when he is in the midst, there is fullness of joy. Catch this now. In your right hand, the position of power, prestige, authority. There, notice this now. There are pleasures. How long? They are not running out. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? They are not running out. There's not going to come a time when you come to God and you want to be in his presence. You want to have joy and the pleasure of being with him. He said, you know what? I, the, I just sold the last one. That's not happening. You hear me? That sister, she beat you to me. You know what I'm saying? If you hadn't been here, just what? Look, if you wouldn't have been late, you would have set that alarm. You would have got it. That's not going to happen. He's not going to say that to you. In, in his presence, the resurrected Christ, that's what he is teaching us. But he's also teaching us. Notice what he says after he says, uh, peace be with you, and he shows. Then he says it again in verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. You ready for this? As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, when we read that, most of the time in our context, we read that real spiritually, like, yes, I'm going to be a missionary for God. I'm so excited, right? Just remember now, the disciples knew what had just happened to Jesus. And Jesus just said to them, listen, the same way, that I got sitting here, I'm sending y'all out the same way. That sounds like a good idea, right? I know we all real spiritual in here. We're like, yes, send me, Lord. Send me, right? Okay. But I want you to hear me now. Well, he just, he gave them the commission, the great commission to go out and to declare his name. He said, listen, just like the father sent me, I'm sending you out. There's a transition that's happening. I'm going to be up in heaven and I'm going to be working in and through your life, calling the shots and doing big things. But you hear me now, each and every one of these disciples, every one of them, every one of them experienced suffering. 10 of them, 10 of them, 10 of them were killed 
because they love the Lord. And it wasn't that they didn't try to get the other one. He just didn't die because he had to be used to get us the book of Revelation. You hear me? And so when we think about this, we have to understand he gives them the commission. And then notice this, to, to be able to seal it, it says he breathed on them and, he, and they received the Holy Spirit. This is a very private moment. This is different from Pentecost. Pentecost was collective. It was corporate. It was for service. This is a private moment to empower the disciples to give them discernment and wisdom. Can I just tell you the disciples had a relationship with Jesus that's different from ours, but that didn't make them necessarily better than us, but they did have a different relationship. And to be able to show them that he was going to be with them, he gives them the spirit. Now, did you catch this last piece? And then we're going to look at the last point and I'll close. He says in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So what is he saying here that the apostles, that they get to, dis, to forgive sin? Is that what Jesus is saying? Nope, that's not what he's saying. Only God can forgive sin. So what is he saying here? What he's saying here, and if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. I jot it down so I wouldn't forget it. What Jesus Christ is saying here is that the disciples, they don't provide forgiveness. They proclaim forgiveness. Disciples, they don't provide forgiveness. They proclaim forgiveness. That whenever a, a, a child of God, the apostles, and those who would believe because the apostles were, whenever you share the gospel with somebody, what you are sharing with them is the way in which their sins can be forgiven. And if you don't share it, then they are not going to know that their sins can be forgiven. So we don't provide forgiveness. We proclaim forgiveness. If you're taking notes, just jot down John 3.36. And this will help us here. Because most people, when they come into this world, they think that they come into this world either neutral like it can go good or bad, or they come in good. That's what most people think, right? Whenever you see a baby born, they all cute, smelling good, baby powder, Gucci, Gucci, looking good, right? And when you look at them, say, okay, and I tell you, they are very cute, but that's a little sinner right there. You don't believe me? Let them keep growing, okay? You watch. You won't have to teach them a thing. Little sinner, you look so cute. Reason why we must proclaim John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the what? Wrath of God abides on him. And so what Jesus is telling us, what he's telling us here is that these, the apostles, we who follow Christ, whenever we come into a situation, a circumstance, and we share the gospel, we, we do not provide forgiveness. Only God can forgive, but we do we proclaim forgiveness. It, the, the Bible says we're ambassadors in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. It, it lays it out for us this way. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these, th now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What he told them and what he tells us is that we don't provide forgiveness. 
we proclaim it. The last thing I want us to see is that Jesus appeared to Thomas. Brother Thomas was not in the room when Jesus appeared the first time to the disciples. Look with me in verse 24 through 31. And before I read this, can I just tell you, Thomas is one of my favorite disciples. I just believe Thomas was a, a, a rough guy. You know, he wasn't afraid. He wasn't scared. You know what I'm saying? Thomas, Thomas had some um, fight in him. Verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, which means a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, y'all ready for Brother Thomas now? Unless I see in his hands the imprints, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, what did he say? I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your finger and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. As we look at Thomas, we see a very important dynamic here. Jesus appeared to Thomas to show the requirement of faith. You see, Brother Thomas, I believe, was one of the only disciples that was willing to actually go out into the city. He was not scared. He was not afraid. We know that Thomas tended to be kind of pessimistic. You know, earlier Jesus was going to do ministry and he was going to ride into town. He was going to try to help Lazarus be raised up. And the disciples said, look, they're going to kill you. And Thomas said, look, let's ride with our Lord. If we're going to die, we're going to die. You know what I'm saying? Anybody got any pessimistic type friends? Anybody? If you don't, you might be that friend. I, you, you know, if you don't have one, it, we, we might be talking about you. But you know that, that, that pessimistic friend, that's, that's Thomas. And, and when we look at this, he was courageous. But he also in his courage was not in the assembly, he was not in the meeting. And can I just tell you, when you miss the meeting, when you miss the assembly, when you miss the time together, you can, you can miss out on what God is desiring for you to hear, to do, and to be about. And, and I find that if we're not careful, I'm just gonna use Thomas as, a, as an example here for a minute, that whenever you come to the meeting, to come to the meeting, that God shows up and he, he teaches, he guides, he directs, he encourages, and he helps. And in, in Hebrews 10, 25, it tells us, don't forsake the assembling together of ourselves. Don't, don't miss, you know, people wanted to, where in the Bible does it say, I gotta go to church? Right here, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
You see, whenever you miss the assembly, you miss out on one, an opportunity to be ministered to, and two, the opportunity to be ministered through. Meaning you miss out on an opportunity for God to work in your life, and you also miss out on an opportunity for God to work through your life. Might it be that you don't make the same mistake as Thomas. Next, though, I want you to catch this. Why Thomas didn't, he, he struggled. See, Thomas was skeptical and he said, look, unless I put my finger, look, I'm a, I got to put my fingers in there. And ultimately what he was saying in his pessimistic struggle was, Jesus, you let me down. Anybody ever felt like that before? Can, can I just be honest in here? Anybody ever felt like, you know what, Jesus, you, you let me down. As a matter of fact, I find that most skeptics, most people that don't believe in the Lord, that is their main reason for saying they don't believe. I've sat on countless airplanes with people next to me and asked them about their relationship with Christ and they will bring up a hurt in the past where my family member did this or this happened to me or if God was real, why would he allow this to happen? And so ultimately what they're saying is, is God, you let me down. You let me down. It's your fault. You let me have this sickness. You, you, you took my child. You took my loved one. You let me down. And ultimately, what I, what I hear and what I see in Thomas here is what he's saying is, is look, I'm not believing I done been burned once. I'm not going to believe it again until I can say, you got to give me some concrete up in here before I believe. And can I tell you, I love our Lord's patient compassion here. You see, he was willing. He was willing to connect because he understood that Thomas did not realize that Jesus specializes in making dead things come to life, whether it be dead faith, dead marriage, dead relationship. He can bring dead things to life. That is what he specializes in. And he, he comes with patient compassion, and he says, look here, reach out your hand. And what I find is if there's anybody that is truly genuine, in their struggle where they say, God, you have let me down. If there's anybody who is truly genuine, the Lord will reach out and he will show, he will show the willingness for him to take the scars for you to be able to believe so that that does not have to haunt your life. When we look at this, there are a couple things I just want to pull to the surface and then we'll close. Number one, did you see how specific Jesus was whenever he engaged Thomas's unbelief? He looked right at him. He came into the room. He said, peace, because I know y'all scared, okay? And he looked right at Thomas, and he went to work with Thomas. And he verbatim said to Thomas what Thomas had said when Jesus was not present. You know, what we should gather from this is that Jesus can hear you, and he can hear me. You know, some of us have uh, alarm, alarms on our homes, and they know more about your home than you do. They'll call you and say, look, somebody has uh, opened up a window at your house, and you don't even know, okay? Alarm companies have nothing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I'm trying to tell you? He knows what's going on in that heart. He knows what's going on in that mind. He knows what you're saying. He knows. And that can bring us great encouragement, but it also might cause us to say, well, he heard me say that. Yep, he heard you say that too. He sure did. <laughs> and so on the encouragement piece, he was willing to come to a discouraged disciple and to be able to, to offer exactly what he was asking. So maybe when you find yourself struggling with faith, you find yourself struggling with what God is doing, might it be that you recognize that he hears exactly what you're saying and he knows exactly where you are. Will you be willing to connect and commune with him? Secondly, though, did you notice how our Lord responded? He, he showed him his scars. Now, whenever I think about scars, 
Uh, anybody in here got a scar from childhood that you remember? Like right now, if we had a chance, you could pull it out and you could tell me all the events that went on. You can tell me today it was a warm day in the summertime. Like you know all the details, right? And there's some scars that when we have them, they're scars that bring back bad memories. And then there's some scars that come that bring back good memories. And like, like when I think about my mom, I never forget. When I got old enough, I never forget my mom telling me how I came into this world. That uh, I was a C-section brother, that they had to get me up out of there because it wasn't looking good for me. And that she had this long scar. And she said, I can't stand pain and I can't stand to be on the operations, but it was worth it. Because that's how you got here. And when I think about what our Lord does here, he is showing us that the scars, the scars that he endured, that, that he show, he's showing Thomas, listen, it, it was worth it for me because that's how you're going to be able to be saved, Thomas. And we think about our Lord. When we get to heaven, there will be no question about who Jesus is. And I say this all the time. Has anybody ever seen Jesus physically? And if you raise your hand, we're going to have to come see you. I'm going to need you to come see me a little bit after this service, okay? No, we have not seen him physically. We, we don't know exactly 100% what he looks like, right? We have ideas and conjecture about what, what we think. But I'll tell you this. When you get to heaven, nobody has to come up to you and say, you know who that is right there? That Jesus. Nobody going to have to say that to you, okay? You, you will know exactly who he is. And one of the reasons why you will know is because he will be the only person in heaven with scars. The only one. Everybody else in that glorified body, listen, the, body, the Bible tells us that whatever scars, whatever difficulties, whether you're blind or you were hobbled or you lost a hand, whatever it is, whatever you have, that whenever he re regenerates you and he gives you a glorified body, all those things will be made right. That's what the Bible says. Jesus will be the only one in heaven with scars. And I believe that when we look at those, it's going to tell us every time the degree that he went through so that we could be with him and have a home and a place to be with him. See, this is what I know. A fight took place. Heaven and hell. Jesus stood in the ring, and he went toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And I don't know about you, but, but any fight that I've ever been in, been in that was a good fight, you know, I, I got hit as well, okay? I got marks to show it. You understand what I'm telling you? But if it was worth it, I was willing to engage. And God was willing to go into the fight, take the marks, and be scarred so that we might be able to have life. Can I encourage you this way before I close? Sometimes in our relationship with him, we wonder not whether or not we want to sin or we want to live a life of sin or whether or not we want to live a life of compromise or whether we want to live a life that's apathetic. Do me a favor and think of the marks that Jesus Christ has on his body, that he was willing to take those for you and for me. And understand that the confession that what he is calling us to, whenever Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God, that is what he's calling us to. This is not like he was saying, oh my God, like I'm surprised. No, he's making a declaration of faith of the deity of Christ and Jesus affirms his declaration. He affirms his declaration. And I want you to catch what our Lord says to us. In verse 29, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. And then he gives us the purpose. And I want to close this way. In verse 30, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You see, our Lord is resurrected. And the question is, is what are you going to do about our Lord? You see that word sign is a very important word and signs in our day are very important to us. Signs tell us about danger that's up ahead to give us protection. Sign tells us about details like how fast we need to drive or when the next exit is so we can get something to eat. Signs give us direction whether we're going north, south, east, or west. But signs also tell us when we have arrived at the destination. And Jesus says that only in his name, only in his name, will you be able to have life. That means because of his power, because of his privilege, and because of his authority. You know, I had an opportunity to visit the White House and I started thinking about this idea of name. And I thought, you know what, what would have happened if I would have went in the White House and I would start ordering people around? I need somebody to get me something over here. I need you to get me some water. I need you to come in here. What, what would happen if I would have started ordering people around? You know what would have happened? Secret Service would have escorted me right on up out of there, okay? Why? Because my name does not carry any power or privilege behind it. But understand, when it comes to Jesus Christ, because of his name, because of what he has done, the power and the privilege of a relationship, the, the victorious resurrection, he is beckoning, he is calling, and he is drawing, and he is asking you, what will you do? Will you be willing to surrender to him, to trust him, and to believe? See, that name is the only name by which you can be saved. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your resurrection, for your love and your life. Pray, Lord, as we go into this time of invitation and response, that, Lord, you would um, remind us. Remind us, Lord, of your sacrifice. That, Lord, you remind us, that, Lord, in your presence, in your presence, that, Lord, you came back to life, Lord, that you're not a ghost, you're not a, a figment of, of our imagination or some imagination of people a long time ago, but, Lord, you are alive and well today. Lord, we are thankful that the grave did not end your life or your, your ministry or your service. Lord, it actually fulfilled, allowed it to be fulfilled in your resurrection. Well, that's what sets you apart from every other prophet, every other teacher or guru, death ended their teaching. But Lord, death fulfilled yours. So God, as we think about that reality this morning, well, I pray that we would find great hope and encouragement. That Lord, like Mary, we would understand the love that you have for us and Lord, we wouldn't get distracted. We wouldn't cling to things that are not of you. But Lord, that our relationship that you've birthed through your life, death, burial, and resurrection would be the source of our fulfillment, satisfaction, and joy. Lord, I also do pray that just like the disciples, Lord, they were afraid. And Lord, they had good reason to be afraid. But Lord, I pray that we would understand that, Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy. So, Lord, that we would run to you, we would always run to your presence, that we would run to you in communication and conversation. And, Lord, that we would not be unbelieving, but believing. 
recognizing that every sign that you gave, all the miracles that you performed were pointing us in a direction to show that you have got this thing. You're all powerful, all mighty. And Lord, we can trust you. Pray God as we go to this time of reflection response, you should have your way. That Lord, if there's anyone here today, they've never given their life to you, Lord, that they would believe they would surrender their life to you and be saved. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God, that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that if you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to the service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during a time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.